Oh, baby, baby. Hello, good evening, everybody. It is September 30th, 2020. It is your boy, Notorious Essay, a.k.a. Steve Anderson, a.k.a. 90% is good enough. So, anything interesting happened last night? Did you watch the debate? You know, full disclosure, if you didn't, I envy you. I envy every person who got to wake up today and just see the clips just because if you had to trog through that whole experience, like me and all the politicos and all the reporters and everybody on Twitter, you watch arguably one of the worst things you've ever seen. Ever. Ever. And I mean, the 2016 debates, Trump exa- was exactly who he was. But in the context of him running, it was this celebrity, asshole, businessman talked over people, he belittled you, he said ignorant stuff, and it was a spectacle. It was entertaining to watch, although troubling if you were in the Republican establishment. Fast forward to 2020, Trump hasn't changed. Trump is exactly who he says he is. He's loud, arrogant, he interrupts, false claims, cheap shots, Break the rules. Zero fucks given. Do whatever he wants. And he was the world's biggest asshat. He was the worst. That is the worst debate anybody ever has done ever in the history of time. Ever. And you can fact check me on that all you want. You can put up any debate. It's, it's none is going to be none is going to be worse than this one. Like when you see the media coverage today, it's all going to be about clashes and insults. And Biden told him to shut up, and Biden called him a clown. Which you know what? You know he probably couldn't have, I guess. But with the way Trump was acting, that's that's exactly what he wanted to do. Trump had a deliberate strategy going in, which was to overwhelm. Chris Wallace and Joe Biden so much that he's going to say as much as possible, right? So then when the sound clips go out, it's just going to be him talking over the moderators, him not backing down, him trying to stand up to the media, right? When in reality, he just looks like a dick who won't answer the question, right? And, you know, that is obviously the strategy, right? Donald Trump knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. It was a calculated plan. He wasn't being defensive. He wasn't just simply responding to the allegations made against him, which a lot of them are true. He just went on the offensive immediately. This is classic Trump at its finest. He takes the same thing and runs the same play every single time. It's predictable. And... Frankly, it wasn't successful, right? It was a bad play, and it didn't work. 
Joe Biden didn't have to even like try. He just had to look into the camera and talk to the audience while Trump was talking at him or at Chris Wallace, right? That's the thing, is that there was two different types of ways to get the audience's attention, right? You can make a spectacle of yourself and demand everybody in the audience around you look at you, thus forcing the cameras to be on you. Or you could do what Joe Biden did and break through the noise and go right into the camera and break the fourth wall. Biden saw that opportunity, took it, looked right in the eyes of everybody and told them what to say. He was on point. He had a couple stumbles and a few questions which do need to be addressed. But overall, they set the bar so low for him that all he had to do was maintain a basic level of competence, which uh, he clearly did, right? And didn't have to do anything because Trump ruined it for himself. Trump looked like an idiot, right? And there's going to be people out there defending Trump, saying that he, he that was the plan because he was it's never a fair fight. It's two against one, even though it's Chris Wallace from Fox News, who is, you know, one of the best journalists ever, who is again from Fox News, the network that has been one of the kindest to the president, right? One of the fairest, almost absurdly fair to him. And they just... They just couldn't handle it, right? The anti anti Trumpers are all out here sharing photos of Chris Wallace rubbing Joe Biden's shoulder, saying he's in the corner. Like, of course, they're blaming the ref, right? Because everyone saw what happened. Everybody is aware that Trump made himself look terrible, right? There's two things a debate could do it could do nothing, or it can make you look worse. And Trump decided to go with the let's look worse strategy, right? Trump is saying, what if I'm the biggest asshole imaginable and I'm going to get every other single asshole out there, of which there are millions, to be my soldiers, to share my memes, to give me money, and to try to push the Republican Party and the independents and the working class into my corner because I'm going to try to convince you that I am the only person standing between you and complete destruction. It's a line he's pitched since the beginning. And every year that passes shows that he can't do anything or won't do anything or everything that's been done, he has no real say or accomplishment in the matter. He was an asshole last night. He ruined it for himself and everybody out there who is stretching as hard as possible to make it look good for him when confronted with video clips and just the general amount of evidence and the immediate pulling that comes in, it's bad, right? He's running the 2016 playbook in 2020, and we are way past that time now. Things are different, man. They don't just air you unedited for hours at a time anymore. Every social media site has been fact-checking everything left and right and promoting miscorrections in real time to what you're saying the activist party of the democrats are awake and every time he talks this man gives them more and more ammunition they're fired up beyond belief right there's been two times in recent memory when the democratic party has been this active it was when 2008 when they were 
angry at the Bush administration, but super optimistic about Obama in the future. And now, where they're not optimistic about the future, but they are super fucking pissed about the Trump administration, right? Trump derangement syndrome is real because this man's election has driven people to what I see is, you know, beyond a reasonable level of hatred. Not to say the president isn't a bad person, which he is, and he intentionally makes things worse because that's his brand and that's his strategy the entire time. But if you're just a civil-minded person, you know, you're already turned off by this, right? Trump has decided that 30% of the country is all he needs. And you know what? If he was just another racist celebrity star on TV, maybe that would work for him. Maybe that would help him with his millions of dollars in debt and struggling businesses. And perhaps this is all just karma for him wanting to run for office as a giant publicity stunt and then winning and then realizing that now he had actual power and didn't know what to do with it except cause trouble everywhere he went. You know, this is the alternate timeline where someone rolled a three instead of a four and we got President Trump. And you know what? I'm not one to do hypotheticals, right? I can't predict what would have happened in the Hillary Clinton administration. And, you know, I don't see what good it does to do now, right? Because what we've seen is the fact that with Trump being president and America being where it is in 2020, it was almost like this is exactly what should have happened. And we should have known the entire time. And what I do want to point out here is that um, just a quick side note on where this ends, because you know I don't want to spend too much time on the debate because you're going to hear about it a lot in the news, is that when you're watching these two people talk, these are two adults, one of whom will be in charge of the world's largest economy, a $5 trillion government, the world's largest military, and the weight of the world on their shoulders, right? Let's not forget that the President of the United States, as disconnected as most of us are from this office, is the most important political office in the world. And the choice America makes matters. I just want to say, if you're a Biden supporter, right, know the weaknesses, understand why people support Trump, and do what you can to convert those who are on the fence. If you're a Trump supporter, you know, I don't hate you. I get it. It's countercultural at this point. I get it. You, For a lot of you who are basically either in the I like Trump the way he is, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't sign off on that. His, if you're a fan of his personality, then you, there's other stuff going on there and that can't be addressed. But if you're a fan of him because you get enough of what you want out of him and you just really are opposed to the left, you know, you see beyond Joe Biden. Because I know lots of you are saying that Joe Biden is a Trojan horse. But let's be honest, right? If you've talked to anybody who is the far left, and I'm talking the Marxist, the communist, even your super progressive liberals who believe in the LGBTQI2ATTXYZ spectrum, you know, however far you want to go with it, right? They're not happy, right? The popular meme now is fine Biden, but this is bullshit 2020. 
that is the actual feeling of the nominee of the Democratic Party, right? They're not in it for him as a person. They're in it for him because he's not Trump, right? This coalition is bonded entirely in opposition to one man, right? And when this man eventually leaves office, what appears to be sooner rather than later, you're going to have to understand that he needs people to work together for his plan to work. And if the far if if what we've seen is true, then the far the farther left of the party, the Elizabeth Warrens, the Bernie Sanders, the AOCs of the world, they don't have control over the apparatus yet. Which means that in the future, center right-minded people and reasonable Republicans will have to work with this administration to fight for what they believe in, to step in where they believe lines are being crossed and to at the very least serve as a bulwark against the possibility of Joe Biden going too far to the left because he obviously moved with the times he's a little older on most issues but you know he's he's given ground to where he thinks he needs to right Joe Biden is a short term is a short term president Right. I, I don't really suspect he's going to want to run again, right? Just because of his age and when it's not Trump he's up against, it's a whole different set of circumstances that are involved and it's probably going to be Kamala Harris will be the one inheriting the future. So Joe will have the ability to do, if he wins, basically whatever he wants without real repercussion, right? And it could be he acts in a way that is, you know, beneficial to both parties, right? He could listen to Republicans, whether they're the never-Trumpers or the soon-to-be-converted super-Trumpers or the die-hard still trying to fight for the lost cause, right? He'll tend to listen, but he's also going to listen to the far left of his party, the progressives, because they're going to be there and they they will be coming into positions of power previously held by Trump administration officials who very much decided that it was in their realm of power to ignore court orders, purposely make bad decisions, make bad legal arguments, and lose quite frequently. The Trump administrative state is successful in that it just stopped regulations before they go into effect to claim to be deregulatory and not being able to change the law because every time they tried, they failed at it because nobody knows what they're doing, which is part of the course for the Trump administration circa 2020. So I'm voting for Joe Biden because I honestly need, I need the federal government to work, to function in an administrative capacity, right? That doesn't mean it has to be super big, but it has to work. And the person in charge of it has to have a form of character that can be trusted. But I live in Illinois. I am a Republican in this state. And I am not voting for any Democrat at the state level, which is what I'm going to go over next. So stay tuned. Quick break, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to tell you about what's going on here in Springfield.
Alright, part two. Yeah, so I'm going to do multiple parts for this episode, and I don't know. Again, I'm just sort of making this all up as I go. If I get feedback from anybody, I'll take it under advisement. I'm open for criticism. Open for constructive criticism. If you want to tell me to go fuck myself, I guess you can, but that's that's not helpful, man. Be cool. So, speaking of inept corruption in our government, while everyone loves to stare at the federal government and big orange man in the sky who is letting the world just burn. Here in the state of Illinois, you'd probably, if you might be involved, you'd probably hear about it, but probably not just because this type of stuff flies under the radar. And that's part of what makes it so insidious and so cancerous is that the lack of attention it gets really means that when there's corrosive parts of government it can stay there for a long time. It latches itself into the system. It's able to control power. It's able to disperse it however it wants. And it can make it impossible for any real substantive or progressive changes to be made, frankly. Just because when power is that controlled, you know, it, it's a detriment to democracy. And if you think I'm still talking about Trump, no, I'm talking about the Illinois State House. I'm talking about the Illinois House Democrats. I'm talking about Big Daddy Speaker Michael Madigan. If you're from Illinois and you're into politics, you know who he is. And if you're not, you may have heard of him somewhere. He doesn't make a lot of national news. But if you're if you're a Republican like me, you know very well he can be the bane of your existence. And if you're a Democrat, you depend on him for everything. Every Democrat in the state who at least is in the Illinois House and the party apparatus itself, this man is intricately involved in all of it. He controls the funding. He controls the soldiers, the petitions. He helps control the districts. And based on the way things are going, he will be reelected to the Speaker of the House again. And when the census results come in, Without any kind of guaranteed protection, you can guarantee that we will be gerrymandered again, and the Republican Party in the state will be drawn into permanent super minority status. And you know what? Maybe that's the irony of the Supreme Court basically saying that some of the states still let gerrymandering happen. So good for you, Dems, on getting the Republican states to correct themselves, but no love for the Republicans in the blue states. Cool. All right. Anyway, I'm not mad about it. So, in case you haven't heard, um, in the last couple months, some big news has come out about uh, the Speaker of the House, Mr. Michael Madigan, regarding good old-fashioned corruption, ghost jobs, and favors. ComEd, Commonwealth Edison, the major power supplier here in the Chicagoland region, admitted in court that it had improperly influenced someone known as Public Official A for legislative action on their behalf and give out campaign contributions, jobs to favors, you know, all the traditional Chicago stuff that you know is there. The traditional Chicago dog of corruption. 
we're talking money, we're talking power, we're talking influence, and we're talking backroom deals. And it's a public utility that we all have to pay in order to have power, so there's no way we can go anywhere else. And it happens over the last eight years, folks. Eight years ago is like a thousand years ago in these day and age. But for the last eight years, while the state was focused on the primary fight between Governor Rauner and the Speaker, if you didn't know, we had a Republican governor for four years. Uh, It didn't really work out well. So this has been happening this whole time. And he's known as Public Official A. Same Public Official A as in recently released from prison and still terrible person Rob Blagojevich. Public lays in President of the United States Donald Trump, another person in a position of a power who unjustly used that position for personal gain at a criminal level. And you know what? If you're a Democrat and you see the president basically just committing crimes with impunity, I understand the anger, right? At the presidential level, it is obviously very troubling to see. But if I live here, right? And since we live in a state where because you have to be partisan and you can never, ever compromise or ever agree to anything, when consistently brought up to local Democrats about, hey, man, the guy who controls your party is super corrupt. And like, we've all kind of known about it this whole time, but it's like really starting to come down now. Right. And it's not just this. It's not just the comment scandal. It's the covering up of the sexual harassment the chief of staff who was a total piece of shit to all the innocent staffers who worked for the General Assembly, the Metra scandal of years ago involving this exact same scenario regarding hiring ghost payrolls and all the terrible legislative favors that come with that. And that's not even getting into the disingenuous attacks on people or the obvious design to keep power and consolidated year after year after year. Right? Or the complete control over any ability to get anything like term limits or uh, even a fair maps amendment placed on it because of his lawyers who have all the power and know every single technicality and rule. The people who control who gets on the ballot by getting every signature of every candidate examined, finding every single piece they can knock out to even control who runs for office, right? Illinois is effectively a one-party state because of this man. And yet, what's happened? Has there been outrage in the streets? Has there been demands for resignations from from both parties? Has there been any kind of semblance of people rising up and having this obviously corrupt person expelled? No. Fact, what do we have? Oh, this will sound familiar, right? Complete denial, complete defiance, attacks on his enemies. Wow. If you think about it, Donald Trump and Michael Madigan are very similar in some ways, right? Not in the being smart way, but in the ability to consolidate their power and to basically just avoid all legal accountability kind of way, right? It should seem so obvious that for most people who live in this state that this this should be a far bigger concern to you than anything that happens in the White House. 
Because let's face it, right, this state is controlled by the Democratic Party. Governor Pritzker made sure of that in the 2018 election. So we have no say in what happens if you're a Republican, unless they're nice to you and let you help, right? This is a blue island in the middle of a red, but actually kind of blue, kind of purplish sea. So, you know, what Donald Trump does is really not going to affect you as much as other people, but what the speaker does definitely affects you. Because he controls all of the laws that this state passes, right? Like, all of them. Everything that goes to the House has to go through him. And anything that goes to the Senate, while he's not in the Senate, is in effect, you know, going to come from him, right? The only other branch of government that has a real check on this is the governor. As Pritzker seems to be kind of on his side most of the time, at least for the purposes of, you know, governing at this point. That's what they have. Pritzker has somewhat said to have the speaker like at least talk about it or resign, but you know, he's not going to go after him. He's not going to use his massive war chest of personal fortune to do that, right? And here's the thing, right? The speaker, of course, has denied all involvement of any kind. He has said there's nothing wrong with giving people jobs, right? So, while a federal investigation is pending, but no one knows what's going to happen with that, particularly if the administration changes over, who knows? There has been an investigation in the state legislature about Mr. Speaker's involvement in this, and I gotta tell you, it is not... It is not looking good for them. Right? So, as reported on WBEZ, who is doing a fantastic job covering this, because... Thankfully, somebody cares in this state is that um, under questioning from Republicans, lawyers representing Commonwealth Edison told a legislative panel Tuesday how the power company repeatedly engaged in bribery to influence House Speaker Michael Madigan, dealing a messy blow that the Speaker's Democratic allies struggled to keep up. And doesn't that sound familiar, right? Doesn't it sound like a man is committing obvious crimes and he obviously controls his party and the people in his party who should have some form of integrity about this are just really trying to stretch it to make it sound like it's either being misrepresented or totally justified and legal. So whatever, right? You know, I just would. If the Democrats in the state were half as mad at Megan as they were at Trump, maybe we'd have actual change, but I don't know. They're probably never going to be. Anyway, going on. More from WBEZ, the bipartisan committee weighing potential misconduct charges against the speaker and the state Democratic Party chairman heard the most the most public airing so far about the lengths ComEd went to curry favor with Madigan, including revelations that the scheme was wider than previously disclosed. The company has admitted to showering, showering no work contracts on members of Madigan's political army and even putting one ally on the company's board to illegally bolster its standing with the speaker, right? It's bribes, it's showering of no work contracts, free money at your expense, right? Hey, here's a contract. I'm going to pay you $60,000 a year for what? Uh, nothing. Well, that sounds pretty sweet, right? Unless, of course, you're the taxpayer and you're paying that and that work should be going to, I don't know, improving the electricity grid or 
making electricity cheaper, right? But you know what? Why not? Let's just go ahead and go with the corruption. I guess that works too, right? The evidence supporting this charge is overwhelming. It's strong. It's direct. House Minority Leader Jim Durkin, Republican of Western Springs, said in an opening statement to the committee, Speaker Madigan abused his office. Speaker Madigan abused the public trust. And of course, he wasn't there. He's refused to testify. He's called it a stunt. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, witch hunt. <coughs> Excuse me, stunt. And has not been charged. Still, the questioning went into the evening as Republicans put comments lawyers and the Speaker himself on the spot in a dissection of a $200 million settlement. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that if I didn't earlier. Um, comment agreed to pay $200 million in criminal penalties. $200 million. And I know. What are numbers, right? What are all these big numbers that you'll never see ever, right? Trillions of dollars are spent. Hundreds of billions of dollars move around the federal government every day. Even the state level, you know, the state spends several billion dollars on things. But still, ComEd, the company that you pay monthly for electricity, and if you don't, they can turn off your power, right? has to pay $200 million in a criminal fine. How is that not a bigger story? How is this not on every front page newspaper in the entire state every day, right? Where is the outrage? Where is the bipartisan condemnation that says, hey man, corruption is bad, right? I'm a Republican, and I'll say Trump's corruption is bad. If you're a Democrat, can you say Madigan's corruption is bad? Some will. They're not the people who actually can make a difference, though. People who are de- vote Democrat in the state may talk about it, but anybody who's in the apparatus, works in it, won't talk about it. They'll pay lip service to it. They know damn well what will happen if they speak out. They know exactly what will happen, because odds are, unfortunately... Unless the feds take some action, nothing will come from Springfield. Now, I bring this up not because, you know, we're just at this point where, you know, what's going to happen? The speakers just refuse to, you know, cooperate. The feds are investigating. Who knows what's going to happen? He's got a lot of buffers in place. I don't know what's going to happen. The bigger issue here is what happens to people who are defending the speaker, right? The speaker can do what he wants to his attorneys and his spokesmen and his legislative aides. What about the other Democrats in the state, right? They may not even have to say anything like resign, leave. You've been here super long and it's been a problem and it's always been a question for us. And, you know, you definitely have been the money guy for a while, but, you know, they have Pritzker now, so maybe they don't need it, right? Pritzker could spend as much as he wants. And he could buy the Democratic Party the same way Rauner bought the Republican Party, but, you know, maybe they don't want that. Maybe he's just too invested in the system. Either way, right? Speaker Madigan controls the House members, right? So the future stars of this 
party, our future likely congressional representatives, possible senators, maybe president one day somewhere. You never know, right? People are going to come up through the system and they're going to have to look back and say, what did you do when one of the most corrupt politicians in the country was accused of terrible crimes and he was told to resign? Would you, would you stand up for him? Would you stand up for him if it was in your own self-interest? Because here's a fun fact that happened. Also from WBEZ. State Rep. Emanuel Chris Welch of Hillside is the chairman of the bipartisan panel, which is scheduled to meet for the second time on Tuesday to begin hearing testimony. Welch's relationship to Madigan has come under heavy scrutiny since he was named on September 12th to be the Special Investigative Committee looking into the federal corruption scandal. The Illinois Republicans have accused Welch of inhibiting the probe to protect Madigan, who also chairs the state Democratic Party. No shock there, right? House Republicans initiated the special panel after the Commonwealth Edison admissions in federal court in July regarding the aforementioned uh, bribes, right? The company engaged in an eight-year scheme to win support to hear a lucrative lucrative state legislation. By the way, guys, you probably don't remember this because it happened a long time ago, but ComEd has lobbied to raise prices to do quote-unquote infrastructure investments and investments in the grid line, quote-unquote, resulting in billions of dollars in extra money, right? From you, the rate payer, the taxpayer, from you who live in this area, and need power to survive. They improperly influenced them and got millions of dollars for it. And some of that millions of dollars went to, you guessed it, no work contracts. Right? Improper, improper placements of people on corporate boards and in jobs. Right? The type of thing that you hear about far too often and really just undermines public confidence in the power company and our public officials. But what would happen? Let's let's dig in and see if the um, Democratic representative here will actually uh, do something about it. So according to these hearings, um, the House GOP leader of Western Springs, Jim Durkin again, alleged the speaker engaged in conduct which is unbecoming to a legislator, which constitutes a breach of public trust. Now, just to be clear, if I haven't said this earlier, Madigan has not been charged in the ongoing federal investigation and has denied wrongdoing. But last Friday, Madigan sent a letter to the House committee members informing them that he would not testify at the legislative hearing, saying, I provided all the answers I can give. And of course, he contended that he considers my duty to make, that's right, job recommendations, and helping people find jobs is not a crime. That's right. I'm not a bad guy. I just help people find jobs. What a bad guy I am. I just I just help people find jobs, right? With with no connection to me at all or political power or my party or anything like that. No, I just I like giving people jobs. People need jobs. What would I get out of it? What could what could I possibly get out of, you know, trading these jobs for favors and promises of 
control and you know basically having me control your finances your campaign your messaging everything about you and basically beat under my thumb well Chris Welch notes like many members of the majority party in the house Welch has developed strong political ties to the long-serving speaker during his more than seven years as a Democratic lawmaker in Springfield but Welch may be even closer to Madigan than most in this House Democratic caucus, judging by the job recommendations and resumes that the Speaker's Chief of Staff sent to Governor J.B. Pritzker's office in early 2019, shortly before the comments scandal burst into public view. These correspondences, which WBZ obtained in the spring, show Madigan's office suggested the two first-term governor hire five people Welch had recommended, including Welch's wife. Cool. Madigan's top eight also forwarded the resume of Welch's mother to two high-ranking staffers in Pritzker's office. Records show Madigan recommended more people with connections to Welch than anybody else during the months after Pritzker was sworn in when the rookie governor was looking to fill many job openings in the administration. Just wow. So, you know, I don't know if that sounds to you like it, at the very least an appearance of conflict of interest, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just throwing that out there here. To be fair, as it says here, only one of the six people with ties to Welch got what they wanted from the governor, even though 35 of the nearly 80 job seekers who appeared on Madigan's clout list ultimately would land on state government payroll or board. So you see, there you go. It is the revolving door of politics to government based on control. They get government jobs, they get paid, they can personally contribute to Democratic campaigns. The whole process just creates the whole cycle of one raising money. There's a new, they get a new race, they take a new district, needs more money, needs more attention, means more Democratic control over the states. Shocking, shocking. Now, here's where it gets great. Next section is called Human Shield for his mentor. Uh, might be a little troubling there, but anyway, let's dig in. The House panel conducting its own probe into the comments scandal includes Welch, two other Democrats, and three Republicans. So far, the sides have primarily feuded had over to conduct the inquiry, which sharply different imitations of guidance they got from U.S. Attorney John Lausch, the federal prosecutor whose office is leading the charge. Basically, since the um, federal government has a certain list of demands about what can and can't be done, the Democrats can block an investigation. They're saying we can't do anything. We can't ask any questions. Right? So, basically, he's stalling the only vehicle we have to investigate this and find out just the, the full extent of what's happening outside of federal purview. Right? You know, and if the federal government has their case and they have to keep it secret for as long as it takes, then by all means, do that because that might be the only way this gets resolved. Because at the state level, even when it's completely obvious, you're seeing his party step up to deny the allegations, call it a political stunt and a witch hunt and a waste of the taxpayers' money and a minority is essentially helpless to stop it from happening. It can only just throw its arms up in frustration. Does that not sound familiar? That was impeachment from January of this year 
which was 10 years ago, if I'm correct, based on my current standards, right? Like, we've already been through that as a country. We all watch that unfortunate charade happen, right? And the same thing is happening here in Illinois, in a state where Trump has no chance of winning ever, and Trump has been nothing but a curse on this party and everything that it stood for, right? He's done nothing for the state of Illinois, and it's just been just bad news bears all around for us, which basically means that the only party interested in trying to stop this obvious corruption is being decimated left and right, right? And what help do we get from them? Nothing, right? And the Trump syncopats don't care. They're completely in denial. They think that the president will come here if they cheer loud and hard enough, as if coming to a place that hates him and provides no purpose for him will actually help him right now. He's only talking about Chicago, and he's talking about it because he's talking about crime, which is real and happening. And, you know, obviously the way he tells it is going to be favorable to him, but it's happening. Mayor Lightfoot, it's happening, and you can't, you just can't let it happen. So that was a rant. Wow, I'm sorry. It just makes me so mad because, like, everyone should be upset about this. Every person in the state who pays taxes and, you know, is voting on the graduated income tax. Oh, yeah, this is the last thing I'm going to do real quick, just because I'm bringing it up here. Um, Vote no on the progressive income tax, right? If you're asking me why to vote no, I I can give you all the numbers, right? I can give you the obvious projections, the overshoots, the history of mismanagement when it comes to tax increases. And again, the whole... As I just aforementioned earlier, uh, corrupt government that is raising money illegitimately, essentially. Vote no, because this is not the ideal time to change the state constitution, right? What we're essentially saying is that we're going to give control over the tax structure, right, to whatever the Speaker of the House, who is under investigation by the feds, the power to set the tax rates. And yes, they say, we're all going to save money. 97% of us. Do the math. Check your calculator yourself. Odds are you're going to get 40 bucks back, which good luck with that. But it's not just about the numbers. It's about the principle of the fact that there is an obviously corrosive force controlling our state government. And we're, they're just letting it happen. And they scream and they holler and they demand that the President of the United States faced the barest accountability, right? And yes, I agree with you a thousand percent. He needs to be held accountable. And he's the President, he should. And the fact that my party doesn't is just super distressing and bad for the long term. People still ask, why am I a Republican? Because I live here, in this state. And in this state, the only way to fight the machine used to be in the minority party, which is the Republican Party. And there are people out here I know who work hard. They make sure the government is competent, is ethical and honest, right? And guess what? They're being run out left and right, getting replaced by kooks, replaced by idiots who have no understanding of how government works, right? Whose districts rely on money from the state to survive while criticizing state funding and just are purposely being drawn that way to, again, 
give more speak power to the speaker. So it's all a cycle, times a flat circle. You've heard the story. So another quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about something not political. Well, actually, it's political, but uh, not about a particular politician, but just about ideas in general. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Need a breather after that last one. That one got intense. We're going to try to slow down a bit. Cover something that's a little different than uh, politics. And it's about why I'm doing a podcast, I guess. And why it's such a great format, for one thing. And, you know, if everybody has the ability to do it in some way, shape, or form. Apparently, a lot of people do. Which, I guess, is a good thing. Because then everybody can talk at length about what they want and about what they want to do at whatever extent they want to, which is great. Now, if you're not super into podcasting, which if you're listening to a podcast, that would be ironic, I guess, but uh, basically in terms of what podcast people are listening to, um, the man that you want to talk about is uh, Joe Rogan, right? If you follow Joe Rogan's podcast, you know who he is, but if you don't, Joe Rogan, actor, Fear Factor, The Man Show, uh, some other stuff, uh, UFC, obviously, uh, really big into that. But the podcast is sort of like where it's at, right? His podcast is big. He's got a lot of stuff going on with this podcast. A lot of guests. If you haven't watched it, they're usually like two to three hour conversations with a guest, which is just kind of a... Usually a free-flowing conversation that breaks up over time. They talk about different things. They, like, watch videos and stuff. And, you know, he interviews all sorts of guests. But there's talk of him in the news because after the debacle that was the debate, um, people have been talking about what if Joe Rogan moderated a presidential debate. And for a lot of people, this seems like a great idea because um, for those of us who have been watching the debates, which... I know not everybody does, but I've watched all of them since 2004, is that I think we all agree it's important that if we are electing somebody to run the executive branch of the federal government, that we should be able to ask them questions to each other and to ourselves, really. We should be able to ask questions in different formats and different ways to understand why they are running, what they stand for, and how will they respond to criticism or critiques, right? What, you know, the the very basic concept of someone is, if there's two people going for one job, this job is obviously to lead the federal government, the executive branch, that you're going to want to ask a few questions, right? It's a job interview for the most powerful job in the world, right? And if last night's debate is anything like how it always is, is that this these old formats are just not... They're not good, right? It's all very, like, pre-staged. And it gives it... It's like if WWE was more boring and less interesting, right? They come in with pre-approved talking points. There's some questions from 
the moderator, who's usually some journalist on the center left or center right, right? They're usually pretty decent questions, I guess, but like, like it's not a real place to get accountability out of somebody, right? It's really more so of like a, how natural can I make my talking point sound, right? How much of it can I turn into a conversation, right? With the, you know, I'm going to zing my opponent. I'm going to have a few quick lines that go out as fundraising clips and things the news cycles can play over and over again, right? It, it gets tiresome after a while. I'm sure, as I tweeted when I was watching it, makes me miss binders full of women, right? I don't know if you remember where you were when that was, but I was in college with other college kids watching, talking about binders full of women. And man, they called Mitt Romney a sexist. He was a monster. He was a terrible businessman who pried money out of people, right? Like Mitt Romney. Remember Mitt Romney, the guy who like six months ago is marching with Black Lives Matter, who voted to impeach the president, is like the only Republican who has like a halfway reputation for criticizing him and really any way shape or form right like that guy was a monster but now you know he's he's cool again it's funny how that works whatever right people are like that i guess but we're off track so this debate format is bad and there needs to be something different and you know who happens to be really good at having long conversations and trying to get as much context as possible Joe Rogan, right? And if you're going to Google Joe Rogan, right, you're probably just going to get, you know, the basic rundown of his show. If you're a fan of his, I probably don't have to explain this to you, but if you're not a fan or you're a critic, I want to have a little bit of a word because it seems like anytime that there is a successful platform or some version of, you know, real common ground where people get together, right? There's always accusations that the person who is in that particular forum is, you know, of one persuasion or another, and that who they let on the show or who they bring to the platform is harmful in some cases. And that's done by mischaracterizing as, you know, basically going after things out of context or really not understanding what's happening. So. Here's the thing. The professional media does not like Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan is a comedian, right? That's his primary stick. He's a comedian, right? But he talks about issues involving social issues, political issues, right? And he does it from an open mind, right? And a real open mind, like DMT open. And if you don't get that reference, Google Joe Rogan DMT and you'll laugh. But when he talks to people, he's always very open-ended and it's a very polite conversation and the questions are, you know, given elaboration and time and they often provide like, you know, a third person and like search things if they need to, right? It's the, it's what you would expect to be the basic version of a conversation platform, right? Like we've all had conversations with people that have lasted for a long time and have been substantive and, you know, you know, it can vary from different topics and flow back and forth and people's personal experiences come into play and, you know, there's a back and forth, right? And with Joe Rogan, he's able to do that with many different guests over many different topics and he, you know, he knows what he's talking about when they come and he has great episodes, right? So, 
he said he doesn't want to do a presidential debate. And you know what? That'd probably be for the best, honestly, because um, I don't think that the, any debate between these two is going to be productive in any way, shape, or form, honestly. Right? Because everyone knows Trump's going to do the exact same thing he just did, right? He's just going to keep doing that. And we all know it's not cool. And the media is going to try to play both sides of them and say that they're both doing it. And Joe's going to be like, this guy's full of malarkey. And they're like, can't believe he said that. Like, we get it. It's it's all it's all so predictable and so not productive. And it's like, you know, maybe just interview them separately, I guess. Like, let them talk. Uh, let them explain it. Because what is anybody not decided at this point? I know people are. I know there are some people really struggling with this, but it seems like a lot of people are fed up with this, right? It seems very much that America has divided itself into you're on the Trump train or you're not, right? The hesitancy and the willing to give a chance and the, you know, I can't stand the Democrats on the left, it's all starting to subside, right? All of these, you know, soft Republicans and conservatives who are relatively principled and independents who came out for the first time or they voted for him because they thought he was going to, you know, help them in some way, shape or form and just not hurt everybody, right? It's all starting to peel away and he's only, it's his coalition is not growing. It's entirely inflated in support based on the fact that he has the White House and the Senate Republicans are in control of the Senate, obviously, right? He's exerting more power than his percentage of supporters really, I guess, you know, can legitimately say they have. And he's very much insistent of, I can do this because the rules say I can, regardless of any norms or values or anything like that. Right? And you know what? He can. If it's not apparent to you by now, um, and I'm not the first person to say this, that I think that goes to Kamal Nanjiani, but it should be apparent right now that a large part of what the democratic system we have relies on is, in fact, the honor system, right? And you may say to yourself, no way, like the honor system, like seriously, like what is the second grade? And it's like, no, but if you think about it, right, this whole thing that we're doing, this whole democratic republic experiment only works if we just, you know, agree on what the rules are and we abide by the rules right and and you can say to yourself norms aren't rules but if people start breaking norms like good norms norms most people are okay with for the the sake of breaking norms or for just their own selfish gain you gotta understand that the rules come after that and if you start going after the rules you set bad precedents and then you kind of get to where we are today If we're going to have a conversation about the rules, we need to have a place where we can have a conversation, right? And Joe Rogan and his podcast is able to do this by not forcing such strictness and, you know, artificial constraints on time. And it's all about sound bites. And it's not really about understanding the other person and where they're coming from. But Joe Rogan's podcast can do that for people. And frankly, you know, if you were to compare watching a Joe Rogan podcast to say, you know, The View, the hot political show in the morning that, of course, I watch every day, 
Can't miss it, ladies. You would see that when they talk about someone like Joe Rogan, uh, you know, Megan McCain defends him, but like Sonny Hostin is out there basically just slandering him, calling him racist or homophobic or transphobic or any of these things that he's not, simply based on conversations he's had with people, right? And he's had, you know, he's had people come on the platform that later on maybe not have been the greatest, but like Milo Yiannopoulos, Alex Jones. I mean, there's more people out there, but those two, uh, those two alone are pretty bad. But, you know, the general idea is that because he's had a conversation with people and was civil to them, right? The, the very basic family block of society that he is either a supporter or implicit supporter of these ideas and what they do and is bad and should not be allowed to set the terms of the debate or should be canceled, as a matter of fact. And this is a concern because Joe Rogan and his very large podcast is now gone from being, um, I'm not sure where it was before, I think it was just whatever they were doing, to being on Spotify, which as you know is that very large streaming service that you can hopefully listen to this podcast on, you can subscribe to, there's a quick plug right there. Anyway, so he's getting paid a lot of money, like $100 million for it, and there have been numerous leaks of documents saying that Spotify, which is a tech company that obviously is of a uh, pretty progressive nature, is not a fan of this because of who Joe Rogan is and the jokes he's made and the guests he's interviewed, and are pushing to have control over what he says and on his show and who he talks to, right? Which, from what we understand, according to um, Joe Rogan himself, is that he has control over his own show and Spotify is not going to exercise any editorial decisions, which I suppose is in Spotify's interest to do so business-wise, because if the audience knew that they were doing that, they wouldn't listen to it on Spotify. And I think Joe is enough of a force to be reckoned with if that were to happen but it does lead to a bigger question of you know people like to talk about cancel culture and some people will say that cancel culture doesn't exist and they'll just say it's quote unquote facing accountability or accountability for your actions and you know in a day and age when everyone's got a camera and the video is always on and you know, everybody's bad day can be interviewed for the rest of time, right? Some people do need to be held accountable for their actions, right? If you're truly in the wrong, and it's documented, or even if it's not, you know, if you make a social faux pas or commit some sin, right? The idea is that you need to have redemption, right? You need to have the ability to explain where you're coming from, why you said what you said or why you did what you did, right? Because context matters and the whole idea of having a conversation of the facts and ideas is that both sides will be able to share a perspective and if there are other outside parties involved that they can try to make a collective judgment based on what the two sides are saying. And, you know, one side might be totally disingenuous, the other side could be totally legitimate or they both could be legitimate that's how the whole conversation thing works. That's the ideas will generally be felt out by the audience. People are being held accountable for things that if they did say them are taken entirely out of context or are being 
unfairly dramatized or having guilt by association or things that are not crimes. They're not even really fireable offenses, right? Like, if you, for example, are outside at a dinner with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or friend or family or whoever, right? And we'll just say a a bunch of people, we'll say, I don't know, like a hundred of them show up wearing masks and chanting and demanding people put their fists up in the air and you don't, right? Not because you may disagree with what they're saying, which is probably something that you agree with, like, I don't know, maybe Black Lives Matter, right? Something that most people agree on, hopefully, that you agree with it, but like, you're eating dinner, right? Like, I understand that you're protesting, and if you just march on by, and if people want to get up from dinner and go leave, or put their fist up when you're driving by, then by all means, go ahead and do so. That's fine. But that's not what this situation is, right? This is a mob has come up to me and has demanded to do something that I don't want to do. And if I don't do it, right, what's going to happen is that this mob of people will put stick cameras in my face, film me, and will say, look at this racist who's at his dinner because they won't put their fist up, right? Without even knowing who the person is and not even ever meeting, seeing, or talking to them or knowing of their existence before this exact moment, will make as bold of a claim as to call someone a racist and a white supremacist. And in an age where this stuff happens instantly in real time and is amplified a thousand times over the world before any real contacts can be established, people's lives can be ruined. They can be unfairly accosted and accused of being something terrible, right? And whether it's a white supremacist or a terrorist or a criminal, right? Being falsely identified publicly on a large scale can, even if you settles down and you apologize and, or other people apologize to you and we say, hey, our bad, you know, it's always out there. People are going to search. If your name ever comes up, they're going to find that out, right? And they're going to have some preconceived bias built into the neuron somewhere that says this guy was accused of something once no matter how bullshit or inconsiderate or out of context it was, maybe I can't hire him, right? If it has nothing to do with the job, but it's years later, that's the type of damage that uncritical, unwavering cancel culture wants to promote. It believes that what it's doing is taking views that are abhorrent and outdated and toxic and trying to bury those ideas by burying anybody who they believe is espousing said ideas, right? And hey, you know, maybe we can cancel David Duke because David Duke espouses explicitly racist, horrible things. You know what? No one has to hire David Duke for anything ever. No one has to buy his his stuff. No one ever has to listen to him. And you know what? I hope he, I hope all the bad things happen to him, I guess. Or that he wakes up one day and realizes he's wrong and, you know, redeems himself. But that's probably not going to happen. He's probably going to be racist till he dies. Which is unfortunate. Because that racism is bad, everybody. I just want that to be clear. If it hasn't been established, racism is bad. No one is supporting racism. Right? However, 
there is a bit of an overlap when it comes to these somewhat brash, demanding, and possibly false allegations and the idea of not being able to defend yourself or listen to anybody or have someone give you a a fair shake about what happened if there's a dispute, right? There are places in America where we believe that free speech is not only to be protected, but is a core principle of why it exists, right? The American college campus, the public square, right? Places that we as taxpayers pay for and are protected under the First Amendment right for us to assemble, to demonstrate our views, and to discuss what matters to us, right? And as long as we don't break the rules, which is, you know, espousing violence, showing pornography, stuff like that, well, you know, the free speech laws can get, depending on where you live. Either way, First Amendment's great, right? You're allowed to say what you want, right? The problem is we're living in a world where places where ideas are supposed to be generated and discussed are being cut off from that idea and are being instead told that any kind of real dissenting opinion or any kind of estrangement from what we consider to be true is bad, right? And what you're seeing is places like the New York Times, the Washington Post, many of the old legacy major newspapers that, you know, have this newer generation of um, adults who came through the current university system, a university system that, while it should be a beacon of free speech, has often been a site of free speech violations of speech codes and mobs trying to shout down speakers and using megaphones and ask yourself that how many times have you seen and part of the reason that many of these conservative activists are so successful is that right all they want to do is talk and they know that if they go to places where they quote unquote are harassed or banned or canceled from is that it only increases their support because you know and what should surprise nobody is that silencing your opponent before they're allowed to speak is not in fact an effective strategy to get people to not listen to them in fact it makes them want to listen more because people have a need for information and people want to process information and they want to learn and they can use their own judgment in terms of what that person is saying right and if there are people saying that you can't see it because it's bad and we refuse to have anybody ever be able to hear it, you know, that's going to spark backlash from people who are going to want to see it or people who are going to want to hear it in spite of other people telling them not to do it. And then if the government gets involved, if the state decides that we don't want to hear things from you, that's a major issue because the state has the ability to use lethal force, right? If the state can declare speech violence, and they can use lethal force to stop violence, they can use lethal force against you for your speech, which is terrifying, which should shake you to your very foundation. You're going to say, Steve, you're being hyperbolic. It's not going to be like that, right? There's not going to be legal consequences for it. And yes, thankfully, in America, and even in our Supreme Court, which... And here's the part that a lot of, if you're 
probably a liberal and you're listening to this. Love you guys. But I'm going to probably say something that you're not a fan of here is that the Trump administration's court system, I believe, is a huge win for free speech in this country because it does seem like that these judges will very much believe in the First Amendment, right? And you could say things like, what are you talking about? They're all Trump appointees. They don't care about that thing, right? Freedom of speech is such a core element that the court has ruled universally on the subject numerous times, and most federal courts err on the side of free speech, right? Because its value is so important, right? The reason, part of the reason that America is the place that it is, is that we believe that you're allowed to say what you want to say without interference from the state, without the, the agency that has the ability to take your life and your property and your liberty from you. Now, you're not immune to the consequences of your actions. You are down to the public court of opinion and your employer can do as they wish as a result of what you say, right? And if you say something that most people do not like or agree with or is horribly offensive, then yes, that's what you get. That's the price of your freedom. You can say what you want, but you can get fired, right? You can lose friends. You can have the public give you nasty stares every time you go out in public. That's the risk that you take by saying something, right? But there's also a part of us that says that when we see someone unfairly being attacked, unfairly being silenced, that we respond with the want to protect speech, right? There are places, and you can say that the conservatives have a quote-unquote cancel culture of their own, but it's not the same because in many places, and this is what, if you talk to Trump supporters, this is what a lot of them will tell you is that it's not necessarily Joe Biden they're afraid of. It's, it's, what's, it's what's coming up after Joe Biden. It's people who enforce speech codes that are illegal and face legal, legal repercussions among students, right? It's people who want people to never be able to find employment or recover from anything they've ever said. Or even or be able to take their words out of context and attack them without the ability to defend themselves, right? Based on what they perceive to be a bad idea, right? It's the type of dystopian nightmare that we thought we could avoid in an era where everyone has a smartphone and a camera, right? Because at the end of the day, a large part of our platform is Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever other website you want to use, which is all kind of consolidated to the private market. So if they decide to cancel you, what are you going to do about it? You can still walk in a college campus and speak, can't you? But what if you can't? What if you walk onto a college campus and let's just say you've taken all the proper procedures, you've been invited, whatever steps. What if security walks up to you and says, no, if you walk across this property line, you will be arrested, right? Because our speech codes say that what you're doing is violence. And if you're doing violence, we can detain you. We can, we can arrest you. We can take away your freedom temporarily, unfairly. Right? Because you want to come here and speak and give your ideas and your platform. That, my friends, is where freedom dies. Because you can say whatever you want in America and 
it's essentially made us who we are because ideas will go out and people will say that's dumb, that's stupid, that's ignorant. And you know what? Over time, information changes, circumstances changes, and then maybe the idea all of a sudden has more merit, right? Think about America at the start and how America viewed slavery, you know, as enshrined in the Constitution of the United States as the great detriment to where we are now, where most people, most sensible people, and I would say a large majority of the public does not believe in the idea of slavery as a concept, right? As it is a war crime, it is a violation of human sanctity, it is universally bad. It still happens, mind you. But no government and no people should be able to sanction it without repercussions. And before before it happened, abolitionists would speak out on this and they would be silenced. They were legally silenced in Congress. They were killed by mobs. They were beaten and chased in order to keep repression. Because when you try to silence speech, if speech speaks out against what is bad, if it can be silenced, people may never know what is bad. And people have a right to know information about when things are bad and how things are bad, if I should be able to look at the world in a different way. And as small as it is, Joe Rogan's podcast is one way to contribute to the flow of information and for people to understand how important it is to be open-minded and to listen to one another. Because in these really divisive times, we should be able to listen to one another and have a decent conversation. So, I'm running out of time on this one, guys. So, hopefully you enjoyed this. I'll see if I'm going to do another one soon. Um, yeah, follow me. There's a Facebook page. I have a Twitter. at Sutibu Anison. Or if you're on Facebook, you can follow me at the Notorious Essay Podcast Show. The Notorious Essay Podcast. Again, so... See where this goes from here. This is so much easier than writing. Writing takes so long, and by the time you put it up, it's already irrelevant. Yeah. Start your own podcast, too. Let's interview each other. If you have a podcast, you want to interview me, let me know. I got free time now. Holler at your boy. Peace. Peace.